Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. How do you feel when you hear the word promise? I promise this. I received a great promise last week. It was a promise from the tax office. <laughs> and, and they've told me that they're going to give me nearly $2,000. Well, that's good, isn't it? Now, they told me that last week, before the end of the financial year, and I haven't actually done my tax return yet, so I'm a little suspicious about the validity of this promise. I'm not sure it's going to come true. Uh, By the way, in case you're wondering, I did not click on that link. (laughs) What about when it's God who's making the promise? When the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-perfect God makes a promise, you can bet your life it will come true. You can literally bet your life. Our passage today begins with a promise that God made. And from there, uh, we read about God making a promise to Abraham. And here's how we're going to unpack Romans 4, 13 to 25. We're going to look at what what was the promise. We're going to look at how is it fulfilled. And then we're going to look at an ancient example. And then to finish off, we're going to look at a modern example. That's That's where we're going. What was the promise? It was a promise that God made to Abraham. Have a look at Romans uh, 4, 13 with me and we'll see what Paul says about that promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? The heir of the world. What does it mean to be the heir of the world? In the Bible, an heir is the one who receives the blessing. Now, in Genesis 12, God called Abraham to leave his home country and go to a place that God had picked out for the Jewish nation to be established. It was the land of Canaan, uh, east of where Abraham and his family had been living. Uh, Abram was never told the destination, interestingly. Uh, He was just told to go and he just went. Um, But uh, notice what verse 13 does not say. It doesn't say, Abraham, you will be the heir of the people of Canaan. No, it says he'll be the heir of the world. The world is bigger than the Jewish nation who are going to be residents in the promised land in Canaan. Canaan was just a sample of what God had in store when he called Abraham. God had the whole world in mind, starting with Canaan. God has always had the whole world in mind, starting with the Jew and then to the non-Jew, the Gentile. Can you see the pattern? You can see right from the beginning of God's redemptive plan that he has the whole world in view. Well, how would the promise be fulfilled? Well, the rest of verse 13 gives us the answer of how Abraham and his offspring would be heir of the world. Let me read it again. Uh, uh, Romans 4.13 For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law 
but through the righteousness of faith. The promise is fulfilled by the righteousness of faith. It is not by law, but by faith. Faith is just another word for trust. But faith must be in something or someone. We have a number of doctors in our church. You may have visited some of them, I don't know. But when they give you a script, which you probably can't read if it was in the old-fashioned way, and you take it to a chemist who can magically read the scroll, and he gives you something to ingest, and you do, it is because you have faith in what has just been handed to you that it's going to make you well or deal with the particular issue. That's faith. We saw last week, and we'll see again this week, that Abraham had faith in what God said would happen. He believed God's word. Do you remember that verse from last week? That talked about how Abraham was made righteous. It was in verse 3 of Romans. Let me just go back to it. Uh, Verse 3, chapter 4. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a direct quote from Genesis 15, verse 6. God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham effectively said, this is a loose translation... Okay, God, because you've made a promise, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you that you will do something later. You haven't done it yet, but that's okay, because I know you'll keep your promise. And the immediate result of Abraham trusting God meant that he was declared righteous by God. Now, what's really significant about this is this was before there were any laws that had been spoken by God that Abraham could either obey or disobey. So what then does the law do, since Abraham's not saved by doing anything, but is saved because of what he believes, in other words, by faith? Well, Paul makes that point for us in verse 14. Verse 14 says, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. If adherence or following of the law was what, made, was what was needed to be saved, in other words, to become the heir, what would be the point of faith? If that's the way it worked, Abraham's doomed because there's no law for him to adhere to. God's promise to Abraham wouldn't be worth a brass razoo. If following the law was how you became righteous, because Abraham was declared righteous, but it was before there was any law. If that happened, it would make God's promise meaningless, or in the words of the scriptures here, it would be void. So what does the law do? What's the point of it? Recently, Merrin and I visited Darwin, We'd, uh, we've never been to Darwin before uh, and we hired a car and we drove down to Litchfield Park to see the Termit Mounds. You may have done that. And uh, we're barrelling down the road and suddenly I saw it. 130 kilometres an hour. I let it rip. It was great fun. Barrelling down the highway there at 130. It was fantastic. Now, when I drive down my street, the law says 
I can't go faster than 150. Uh, go faster than 50. Wouldn't it be great? 150, that'd be good. I can't go faster than 50. I could do 130 up there, but I could only do 50 here because that's what the law says. Now, all the law does is tell me what the speed limits are. That's all it does. Now, there are consequences for going over these limits. Believe me when I say there are consequences if you go over those limits. But the law does nothing other than tell me I've broken it. That's all it can do. If there was no such thing as a speed limit, it would be impossible to break the speed limit because there's no speed limit law. But there is. That's Paul's point in verse 15. What does the law do? Verse 15 says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law shows me what sin is. Or more accurately, uh, as the ESV translation puts it, trans transgression. See, transgression, here's the line. I step over the line. I've made the transgression. I've broken the particular law. Now, there are over 600 laws in the Old Testament. Uh, and don't worry about whether you've broken all of them, because if you just break one of them, then you've broken the law. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, uh, here's a little test for us all. <clears throat> the first of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, who here can put their hand up and say they have never put anything ahead of God and so created a false god? Oh, what's good? No hands are up. A God before the real God. You see, we're all failures at law-keeping, aren't we? Actually, you know, it's not so much that we are law-breakers, but we set ourselves up as law-makers. We decide what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes our laws align with God's laws, like not murdering. We all agree with that. But it's actually our law. We've made it up ourselves. It just happens to align. And so uh, that's, that's our real problem. We're lawmakers and we set it up ourselves. And you've done it and I've done it and everybody's done it. And what the law does is bring sin out into the open so that you can see it. Oh, look, there it is. That's what sin is. I can see that. That's what the law does. It tells us what sin is. So what does righteousness depend on? Well, let me keep reading Paul's explanation in verse 16. Uh, he says, let me just go back to 15, just so we get the run up to it. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now, this verse is a bit tricky because we're not 100% certain what the it is at the beginning of that verse. Uh, some suggest the it is the promise itself. Other suggestions include the inheritance or God's divine salvation plan or righteousness. But whatever one of those the it is, its purpose of the promise, sorry, the purpose of the promise is to bring grace 
to all his offspring. Now, who are Abraham's offspring? Because that's important. Let's read on, verse 16. Uh, Guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham's offspring are not just those who have descended from Abraham genetically, but those who trust in God like Abraham did. He is the father of us all. And we heard that in our first reading from Genesis 15.7. It is so that grace is there. You all remember what grace is? It's the undeserved favour of God. Or as someone once helpfully said, uh, you can think of grace as an acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. So how was the promise fulfilled? By faith. Simply by trusting God at his word, not by doing stuff. It's faith in God that makes us an heir that saves us. If obeying the law was what saved us, then faith wouldn't play any part in our salvation And it would mean that Jesus' death would have been completely meaningless. Well, Paul goes on then to give us an ancient example of how trusting God, having faith in God works. And works when things look impossible. Paul shows us just how his comment at the end of verse 17, (coughs) excuse me, works out in reality. Does God really give life to the dead and call into existence things that do not exist? That's the question. The ancient example of how God works, how faith works in the life of the guy we've just been talking about, Abraham. What did Abraham do? Well, he believed God's word over and above the evidence that normally applies in the world. Have a look at verse 18. In hope, he, that's Abraham... In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations, as, had been, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham knew, just as we know, people in their 50s did not normally have kids. But he and Sarah are in their 90s. Picture the scene. Picture the scene. Abraham is 99 years old. His wife Sarah is 90. She has never been able to have kids. She's barren. For all intents and purposes, they were as good as dead, or at least their reproductive systems were as good as... Well, they were dead, for all intents and purposes. Nevertheless, against what everybody knew was impossible, Abraham trusted God that he would fulfil his promise. He believed God's word in spite of what might have been considered evidence to the contrary. He knew that God gives life to the dead, including reproductive systems. 
He knew that the source of life was God and that God would be able to keep his promise because he had the power to do it. From the world's point of view, Abraham could not become a dad. It was impossible. Not only was he past it, but Sarah was most definitely past it. This will come as no shock to you. I've never given birth. Uh, but I suspect, I suspect having a child at 90, ladies in the room, you would really need God's help in carrying the baby, let alone delivering the baby. Sarah survived the birth. Well, God really is the one who gives and sustains life, isn't he? Abraham's hope was beyond earthly hope. His hope was bound up in his faith in God's promise. Now, of course, God does things according to his timetable, not ours. God had first made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. At that time, Abraham was 75 years of age. Even that's pretty old to start a family, I would have thought. <clears throat> God restates the promise a couple of times. And by the time we get to chapter 17, our Old Testament reading this morning, 24 years have gone by and Abraham still has no kids. Now you would think that his faith might be wavering by that time. Well, have a look at verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he drew, grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Despite the time delay, Abraham believed the promise of God that he would be the father of all nations, despite not having any kids at the time, nor likely to, or from all everything anybody would have said that would happen. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, because he was convinced that God was utterly trustworthy and was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, to bring life out of what was dead. And that's what God did with Jesus after his death, brought life, not only to Jesus, but to all who believe. What a great example Abraham is. God's saving people based on what they believe, not by what they do. That's our ancient example. Well, who's our modern example? Verses 23 to 25 tell us who the modern example is. Let me have a read. But the words, it was counted to him, was not written for his sake alone, but also... Ours, ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the, raised from the dead, Lord Je Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There it is. The modern example is those who believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead. You see... The modern example is you and I when we trust God's word. It's about belief. It's about trusting what God says is true. 
The righteousness that was counted to Abraham because he trusted God is exactly the same righteousness that is counted to us when we trust God. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. How do we obtain the righteousness of God that uh, Abraham obtained the same way he did? We see that in the second half of verse 24. Uh, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Uh, and after, after he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. <clears throat> People often ask me, what is my favourite Bible verse? And it's a hard one, there's lots of them. But I've got to tell you one that I really like, is Romans 10, 9. I've committed it to memory, I think. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There are two things that are required for salvation. One is confession that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, he's the boss, I'm not. That's the first thing. And the second thing is you need to believe in the power of God that raises Jesus from the dead, for that is what he does. Can I say that if there are two things, if those two things are not clear in your mind, can I encourage you to keep asking questions to get clarity on how God's righteousness can be counted to you? If it becomes clear, trust Him and God's righteousness is yours and it will carry you into eternity. There is nothing more important in life than this. You do not want to have the wrath of God unleashed upon you given that Jesus has taken the wrath for you on the cross. That is available to you. You can avoid and should avoid God's wrath. We need the righteousness that comes from faith. And if you are trusting God in his word, at his word, rejoice that his righteousness is yours and share it with others. We, we live in an enormous privileged position. We live this side of the resurrection. Abraham did not have the evidence that we have that God is a promise-keeping God. For him, the events promised were yet to happen. Romans has been a wonderful journey so far. God has really blessed us in his word. We've had the opportunity not only to hear it explained Sunday by Sunday, but as, we, as uh, Ross led us in prayer earlier, in our point groups each week. It's been a marvellous, marvellous blessing. Now, journey in Romans is not finished, but we are going to press pause. And we're going to come back to it next year, aren't we, Steve? God, Lord willing. Everything's Lord willing. We'll look forward to that. So how do we finish now? How do we apply the righteousness of faith that we've been hearing about? Well, let's enjoy it. Let's bask in the righteousness that has been given to us by a loving God who has achieved it all for us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Enjoy it. He has delivered us from our trespasses and raised us for our our justification. 
Let us trust in Jesus as Lord and commit ourselves to following him. Not just to be disciples of Jesus, but disciples who want to make more disciples for Jesus by sharing the good news of righteousness by faith. Let us stand as children of the promise. Let us fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward, till the race is done and the work, and the race is finished and the work is done. Let us walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, your word is staggering. When we ponder what you have done for us in Jesus, it's somewhat overwhelming. Thank you so much for your servant Paul, for his wisdom and insights. Thank you that he wrote it down and you have preserved it for us. Please help us to drink deeply from the well of your word. Fill our hearts with love for you and your word. Thank you for your gift of faith which enables us to trust you. Thank you for the overwhelming evidence of your love culminating in the life, death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we spend our time glorifying you in this world as we prepare to do it for eternity. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon Or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5pm Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.